Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 10. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Bill has wild hair, wears a t-shirt with holes in it, jeans and no shoes. Are you listening? This was literally his wardrobe for four years of college. Bill is brilliant. He became a Christian while attending college. Across the street from the campus is a well-dressed, very conservative church. They wanted to develop a ministry to students, but wasn't sure how to go about it. So one bright Sunday morning, Bill decides to go to church. He walks in with no shoes, jeans, t-shirt, hair is wild. The service had already begun, so Bill starts down the aisle looking for a seat. The church is completely packed, and he can't find a seat. By now, people are looking a bit uncomfortable, but no one says anything. Bill gets closer and closer and closer to the pulpit, and when he realizes that there are no seats, he just squats down on the carpet. Although perfectly acceptable behavior at a college fellowship, that had never happened, trust me, in this church before. Well, by now, people are really uptight, and the tension in the air is thick. About this time, the minister realizes a deacon moves forward from way in the back of the church, and he's moving toward Bill. The deacon is in his 80s, has silver gray hair, a three-piece suit, and a pocket watch. A godly man, very, very dignified and very courtly. And with his cane, he starts walking toward Bill, and everyone is saying to themselves, oh, you can't blame him for what he's going to do. How can you expect a man of his age and of his background to understand some college kid on the floor? Well, it takes a long time for the man to reach the boy. The church is utterly silent except for the clicking of the man's cane. All eyes are focused on him. You can't even hear anyone breathing. The minister can't even preach the sermon until the deacon does what he has to do. The elderly man reaches Bill. He drops his cane on the floor and with great difficulty, he lowers himself and he sits down next to Bill and worships with him so he won't be alone. The minister and everyone is choked up with emotion. As the minister wiped his tears and gains control, he says, what I'm about to preach, you will never remember, but what you have just seen, you will never forget. Isn't that a great story? And somebody once said, it is better, somebody once said this, it is better to see a sermon than to hear a sermon. This morning, we're going to see a sermon that, again, as I mentioned, uh, is called The Parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, we pick up, and I've titled this sermon, Who is My Neighbor? Luke 10, verse 25, if you're looking at it, say amen. Amen. All right, some of y'all ain't looking. We'll wait. Look at verse 25. If you're looking at it, say amen. Amen. 
And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered, the man answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to, what saints, justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answered and said in verse 30, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, banished his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, and brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he, the lawyer, said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Many people call this story the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm not really sure why people call it the parable of the Good Samaritan, because nowhere in the text does it tell us that it is a parable. Uh, It could be a real story. It could have been, it could be something that uh, Jesus is telling us as a firsthand story. We don't know, but people call it a parable. It is one of the best known stories in the New Testament. Many people read this story, listen, many people read this story and they think that it is teaching The story is teaching that we should lend a helping hand, that we should do good works. And they get that from this story. And that's why there are hospitals throughout the country known as like Good Samaritan Hospital. There are various charitable organizations, Good Samaritan Soup Kitchen, Good Samaritan Clothing Closet, or various charitable nonprofit organizations because they get that from this story that we should do good works. We also have in our country what is known as a Good Samaritan law. The Good Samaritan law protects you from liability should you kill someone while trying to save their life or you further damage them while trying to save their life. Well, the Good Samaritan law protects you. So, so many people and some people think that Jesus' intention on telling this story is to teach us to help someone in need. Listen, I hope I don't mess you up too bad, but that's not the intention of this story. The intent of this story, listen, is to challenge those who have a correct theological position, but they have no expression or no action to their faith. I'll tell you again, just in case you were asleep. 
The point of the story is to challenge those who have a correct theological position, but there's no expression or action of their faith. So this is the person who has all this head knowledge, but no feet to their faith. In other words, they are all talk, but no what? Walk. You know that. Now, in contrast, listen, you're in the next section and we'll get there next week. We come to the story of Mary and Martha. And in that story, we have the challenge to those who are all walk and no rest. You know, there's lots of people who are really into serving, but they never take the time to just sit at the feet of Jesus. Don't you know that God is more interested? Are you listening? God is more interested in the servant more than the service. God's more interested in you. And there's a lot of people who are just serving, 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 but they never take the time to just sit and listen, sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary. We'll talk about next week. I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's very interesting that next week's sermon is about all walk and no rest. This guy in this sermon is really about the person who is all talk and no walk. Notice in verse one, there was a lawyer who stood up. Notice in verse one, you're looking at it. There was a lawyer who stood up and tested Jesus, asked him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this lawyer is not a lawyer in a sense of what we think is a lawyer. This lawyer is a scribe. You might want to write that in your margins. This lawyer is a scribe, a doctor of the law, an expert in the Old Testament law, an expert, a scholar, an Old Testament scholar. When people return, when the people return from the Babylonian captivity, they developed a class of men who in complete devotion copied the scriptures. And they copied the scriptures word for word, syllable by syllable, every jot and every tittle, making sure that it was accurate. These guys were the go-to guys. When someone had a question on a verse and what it meant or if a situation happened, people would come to the doctors of the law to get the answers on what the scriptures said about that situation. So these guys stand up and they, this guy stands up and he asks a question to test Jesus. Did you get that? Did you get that in verse 25? This lawyer stood up to test Jesus, or in other words, to outwit Jesus, to duel with Jesus theologically. Can we say mistake? It's a mistake. Okay, I'm just going to say this. I know you already know it, but it is a mistake if you think you can outwit God. So this guy is doing, you know, theologically battling or dueling with Jesus. Unfortunately, you know, there are people who study the scriptures and they pull out their swords and they start dueling with people, dueling with other Christians about eschatology. Esco what, Rodney? Eschatology, that means the study of end times. Or somebody might say, eschatologically speaking. They're talking about the study of end times. So people start dueling with each other on end times subjects. You know, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pan-trib. They start dueling with each other on, and people think that these things are essential. 
Listen, can I tell you something? Your position on end times events is not what we classify as essential doctrine. In other words, we can disagree on that. Now, I will tell you here at Calvary Chapel, we are called pre they call you a pre-tribber or we are pre-tribulationists. In other words, we believe that the church will be raptured and then the tribulation will then begin. We are pre-tribulationists. There are lots of people who disagree with me and they're mid-tribulationists and they're post-tribulationists. And then there's some people who are pan-tribulationists. That just means that they believe that it'll all pan out in the end. So don't worry about it which I don't know, sometimes I think that too. But it doesn't matter what you know, our positions are. We don't need to duel it out and battle with each other on these non-essentials. And believe it or not, there are people who do. Things like, you know, five-point Calvinism and Arminianism and systematic theology and covenant theology. People are dueling with each other. And get this, churches even split over these kinds of things. And relationships are destroyed because people want to be right. And most of the time, listen, they wind up being dead right. But people are so caught up in theological sword fighting that they forget about love. They forget about love. And the interesting thing is when you first became a Christian, think about this. When you first became a Christian, did you care about any of those things? When you first became a Christian, did you care about five-point Calvinism, covenant theology, reform theology, mid, pre, post, pan, tribulation? Did you care about any of those things? No. When you first became a Christian, all you knew was, Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You can say a better amen than that, because that's all you knew and that's all you cared about. When I first became a Christian, no, I, I didn't even know what, what is all this pre-trib, post-trib and all this stuff. I'm still trying to get my head around it. All I knew is that Jesus loved me. But then what happens is people, they somehow, listen, they, they somehow, they kind of move away from that point of love to discernment. From love to discernment and they get positioned. Hmm? They get positioned. And anybody who disagrees with their theological position is wrong. And those same sweet Jesus-loving people have grown callous and grown cold. And don't misunderstand me. We need to be Bereans. The Bible says we need to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. That we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. That we need to be able to give every man a reason for the hope that lies within us. But we don't need to get so positioned that we forget to walk in love. And that's exactly what happens. You started off, most of y'all started off as really, really sweet people. Now look at you. Because you got positioned. Because somebody got in your ear and started telling you about five-point Calvinism and Reformed theology and covenant theology. And you started, well, yeah, it's like this. And before you know it, where's your love? And you start pointing at people, you, you don't agree, you don't believe this, and you don't believe that, and you don't believe this. Christians are hard on each other in these very areas. Why? It doesn't matter. Listen, Jesus is going to come when Jesus is ready to come. And get, and get I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. And please understand this. He's going to come whether you 
are mid, pre, post, pantry. He doesn't, he's not waiting on you to get the right position to come. Did you hear me? He, he'll come anyway, even if you're not ready. He'll come. Even if you think he's supposed to come later, he'll just show up. And then when he comes and you get in heaven, he'll say, see, Pastor Rodney was right. Pre-trib is the position. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we don't want to divide over these things. We have to be careful that we don't get too heady. Here's my point. That we don't get too heavy, heady, and we don't get too puffed up, and that we don't become so theologically minded that we are no earthly good. Because at the end of the day, listen, Christianity is about L-O-V-E. That's what Christianity is about. That love then is seen in service. It's seen in service. I mean, think about this. Nobody has ever changed the world by being able to prove their end times position. No one. Conversely, plenty of people have changed the world by visiting the sick, by reaching out to people, by binding up wounds. Plenty of people have changed the world through love. Now, in our story, listen, this theologian, this heady man comes to Jesus to duel it out. And he says, Master, what shall I, look at verse 25, what shall I, what, do? Not only is he a heady theologian, but he's also a legalist. Because he says, what shall I do? And Jesus, in good rabbinical form, answers a question with a question. Jesus said, what's written in your law? How do you read the law? What does it say? How readest thou? Now get this, Jesus is turning it on him and giving him a little dig here. Jesus is saying, you're asking me what eternal life is all about. You know the scriptures. How do you read it? And then the man answers with a good answer. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, verse 27. And then verse 28, Jesus says, ding, 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 ding. You gave the right answer. And then Jesus said, this do and live. And that's a toughie, isn't it? Jesus said, right answer, now do it. Which implies, listen, he doesn't do it. Because if he did do it, then Jesus wouldn't have to say do it. So he doesn't do it. Notice in verse 29, after Jesus said that, the man was trying to, did you get that? Justify himself. I don't know about you, but I am glad I don't have to justify myself. God has already justified me. Don't you understand that word justified? Here's a good way to look at it. What does it mean? Justified, you could look at it this way. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. God already justified me. How did he do that? When he died on the cross, he washed me in his blood and he forgave me of my sins. And Jesus took everything from the debit column and put it in the credit column. I don't have to justify myself. So in trying to justify himself in verse 29, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? You know, it's almost like he says, I don't want to waste love on the wrong guy. So who is my neighbor, right? Now the lawyer, now stay with me. I want you to check with me here. This lawyer measured himself against both commands and he figured that he obeyed the first command well enough. But the second command depended on how you define neighbor. So he made three big mistakes. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down right here. He made three big mistakes. Number one, his first and maybe the biggest mistake 
was that he assumed that he had fulfilled the first commandment. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, is there anyone who has fulfilled that command alone that you always listen to me, that you always listen to me, that you always love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Is there anybody in here that always loves God that way? No, I didn't think so. And please, if you think you do, don't lie in church. (laughs) Don't lie outside the church either, but don't lie in church. Nobody always loves God. So this guy assumes that he fulfills the first commandment. That's a mistake. The second mistake he made is thinking he could fulfill the command to love God. Watch this. And at the same time, hate your brother. Listen, you cannot love God and hate your brother at the same time. Matter of fact, it's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, and John said, if someone says they love God and hates his brother, he's a what, saints? A liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, it just makes sense. How can he love God whom he has not seen? You can't say you love God and you hate your brother. You cannot, listen to this, you can't say you love Jesus, but you don't love church. Why, Ronnie? Because if Jesus is the head of the church and the church is the body, then you have to love Jesus and the body. You can't separate the head from the body. That's a monstrosity. That's ugly. Some people say, well, I love Jesus, but I just don't like, I don't like no Christians. I don't like the saints. And they think they say it with boldness, too. I don't like the saints. I'm like, do you understand that makes no sense? You can't say you love Jesus, but you hate the church. You can't say you love God, but you hate your brother. The third mistake this guy made is to try to define the word neighbor in a narrow way. Now, if your friends are only defined as your neighbor, then maybe he fulfilled it. But the Jews get this. In Jesus, they taught that you had to love your neighbor, but they also taught that it was your duty to hate your enemy. And it all depends on who your neighbor is. And who your enemy is. So the man asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, don't you love this? Let me tell you a story. I love that. Jesus was a simple teacher. And the longer I teach, the more I appreciate that. You know, sometimes you can get so deep and so convoluted and complicated that nobody knows what you're talking about. You ever heard a sermon like that? I, you know, I'm one that like brush my teeth. I got one, my TV. I could flip it to my, my bedroom. It's like on a little swingy thing. And I could turn it to my bedroom or turn it to my bathroom. So I turn to my bathroom in the morning, Sunday mornings. I brush my teeth, get myself ready for church. And I'm listening to various teachers and I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. Don't, I don't, look, I'm not the brightest 
light in the lamp, and I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I just don't get it. And a lot of times, if you're preaching the word of God or you hear somebody preaching the word of God and the people don't get it, you can tell because they'll say, oh, y'all didn't get that. Maybe you'll get it when you get more spiritual. Well, wait a minute. If the people are not getting it, then it's the teacher's responsibility to put the cookies on the shelf where the kids can get them. It's my responsibility to help you get it. So if I don't think you're getting it, then it's for me to rephrase it so that you get it. So you can be simple. And if you want to be like Jesus, be simple. The man said in your teaching, the man said, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, let me tell you a story. Now, we don't know if this story is fiction or nonfiction. Was it in the newspaper or on the news that week? We don't know. But Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho on a highway. Now, geographically, if you look at it, geographically, this area is known as the wilderness of Judea. The wilderness of Judea, it's a very barren area, just full of rocks, nothing is there, and bandits, thieves hung out in this area. There was this guy by the name of Jerome, and three centuries later, he called this highway the bloody way. It was on the bloody way that these thieves and robbers would beat people and take their clothes and leave them for dead. And the story continues that there was a priest walking by. Are you listening? There was a priest walking by, and so he wouldn't be ceremonially contaminated. He stepped over to the other side. And then the Levite, same thing. He didn't want to be contaminated, so he passed to the other side. Isn't that incredible? A priest and a Levite who were officials, uh, official representatives of the God of Israel walk right by someone in need. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.